Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what we celebrate uh, today. The end, of a new year, uh, the end of one year and the beginning of another year. We thank you that you have been through us, been with us through this whole past year. We know that you're going to be with us through this whole new year. We look forward to what you're going to do in our church, through our church. We're excited about seeing the transformations and the chains broken and more people coming to know you through your son. And Lord, as we take a look at your word and we wrap up 2023 and are looking to start 2024, we start with your word. That's what we always have to start with. It is our foundation. It is our truth. We know you speak to us through it. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us uh, through it this morning. Your spirit would go forth uh, and we'd walk out of here a little bit different of a person than when we walked in. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We, of course, just celebrated Christmas this past week. And today just so happens to be the last day of December and the last day of 2023. But in December of 1776, colonial author Thomas Paine published the first installment of what would be a 13-installment pamphlet collection known as the American Crisis. I think a pamphlet could be written about America today, right? The American Crisis. The first installment spread like wildfire through the colonies. On Christmas Eve of 1776, General George Washington's army was ragged, hungry, freezing, and morale was dangerously low. An army of German Hessian soldiers hired by the British to fight against the American forces were holed up in Trenton, New Jersey, on the other side of the Delaware River, enjoying a Christmas feast. Legend has it that General Washington ordered the first installment of Payne's American Crisis to be read to his faltering and worn-out soldiers on that, that Christmas Eve. One author says that the legend goes on to say that the soldiers, upon hearing the opening words, these are the times that try men's souls. And Payne's rebuke of the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot and his exhortation that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph apparently filled Washington's men with the needed courage to march through that cold and stormy night, cross the ice-clogged Delaware River, surprise the Hessian army, and achieve a much-needed military victory for the American Revolution. A lot of us may be sitting here or watching this online later and feeling ragged, worn out, beaten down, and ready to give up. You're sort of limping through 2023, the last part of 2023, into 2024. We've been fighting the good fight, done a lot of good for God's kingdom, but we're wondering if we can go on. The world is too loud and the enemy is attacking us on all fronts. Today, as is fitting for the last day of one year and looking forward to a new year, God has some words for us to muster up his strength 
in us, to push us forward, to pick back up the flag of his cause of love and keep marching to victory. By the time Paul wrote his letter to them, the Galatian churches had been beaten up a lot. There was a lot of infighting in the churches, brought about by a legalistic comparing of one another and how well each of them was following the Jewish law. But when that infighting and conflict arises and a church takes a beating, who is really behind all of that chaos? The enemy of our souls, the lion that prowls around actively seeking whom he can devour. The Galatian churches needed exhortation, they needed inspiration, and they needed strengthening. Paul had spent the majority of this letter dismantling this belief that the Jewish law had anything to do with salvation based on the death and resurrection of Jesus and describing what a new life following the Holy Spirit instead looks like. The Galatians may have felt that that they had been put through the ringer, so to speak. And now Paul gives them a simple yet powerful call, a battle cry, to leave what should be left in the past and march forward for God's kingdom. So what is this military speech of stirring courage that Paul gives to the Galatians for them to gain heart, to keep going in the power of the Spirit? And what are the same words that God gives to us today? to be renewed, to keep going, to be strengthened, and to keep marching behind the Spirit to battle. This whole overall section from chapter 5, verse 16, on through these verses this morning, has an overall military theme. It starts out in in 5.16 with the terms of this war that we're all involved in. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Holy Spirit himself sets himself against a life based on selfishness or the flesh. We all must choose a side. The side of selfishness is evident and obvious, as Paul goes on to say, starting in verse 19. This side is described with a list, which, while not exhaustive, gives us a pretty clear picture of what is included in choosing the side of the flesh. These behaviors include sexual behaviors outside of God's definition of marriage found in Scripture, adhering to any kind of spirituality that is not based on God's Word, destructive human interactions that will ultimately destroy a church, an addiction to and being controlled by alcohol, and things like these that Paul had already warned the Galatian believers about. The side of selfishness who only listens to the world and its prince of darkness only leads to defeat, only leads to destruction. As evident as that side is, the side of the spirit is just as evident with fruits being born that reflect a following of the Holy Spirit, such as a God-given, infused and growing love for others, an unquenchable joy that's not based on our circumstances or emotions because it's all based on recognizing God's everyday grace, an unwavering and even-keeled peace based on God's faithfulness, A supernatural patience that's based on that unfazed peace. 
and unexplainable kindness based on righteous goodness and God's kindness that he shows us every day. A goodness that's founded upon God's definition of right and wrong and not the world's. A faithful confidence in God only because he's the one convincing us of his faithfulness. A meekness that remains strong but handles situations in an even-keeled and temperate humility and gentleness. And a control where one surrenders completely to the Spirit's power and transformation of our mind and soul. You might have picked up on this already as I was going through them. But simply put, those are the fruits of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. We've truly been given the riches of God's grace as his children, haven't we? Paul's logical response to those two comparisons between a life lived for the Spirit versus a life lived for selfishness, the world, and the one it listens to is in verse 25. If we say we live by the Spirit, then we better actually be walking by the Spirit. That word for walk is completely in keeping with this war theme. It's a military term, meaning to march in step behind a commander. Who is that commander? If we are children of Almighty God, bought by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that commander is the Holy Spirit. If we say we are children of God, then we show it by marching in time behind the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance. That illustration of us as children of God, and therefore brothers and sisters in Christ, all marching behind the Spirit together, is carried through to Paul's next instruction to the Galatians. Bear each other's burdens, and thus fulfill Jesus' law of loving one another as you love yourself. As we all carry the soldier's pack of suffering for the cause of Christ, described in chapter 6, verse 5, we come alongside each other as we observe each other getting worn out by the troubles of life that God allows for that very purpose of experiencing his love through his children. The idea of supporting one another carries over to Paul's next topic, and that is to not only support in prayer and deference to the under-shepherds or military leaders of garrisons under the leadership of Christ, or elders of a church, also known as elders and pastors, but it being the responsibility of the garrison under that leadership to financially support those military leaders as well. That's what Paul moves forward into. There was a reason I went through all of that. And it was to show the maybe so, maybe not so obvious theme of spiritual warfare and the practical ways of fighting behind and under the leadership of God. In war, there is always difficulty. There is always suffering and anguish and crying out to God. There is always being worn ragged, exhausted to the bone, and wondering if it's all worth it. That's what Paul addresses next to the Galatians, and that's what God is answering next to us. The resounding answer is yes. The inspiring speech to the ragged soldiers of the cross picks up 
in verse 9 of chapter 6. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to pick up in the first part of, chap of verse 9. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to Galatians 6, 9, or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. But let's, this is what we read. It's inspiring speech. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Let's just start with that beginning part there. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't wave the white flag to the world and say, you win. Pick your head up. In what ways are we not to give up? In advancing some cause that has nothing to do with the gospel, sharing Christ's love, or winning souls for God's kingdom? No. In bad-mouthing, murmuring, gossiping, slandering, belittling, or discouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ? Certainly not. In indulging the flesh or following the world's leading? Again, certainly not. What are we not to lose heart in? In doing good in advancing the cause of God's kingdom of love and righteousness. You might say, that's not very helpful. What's, the, what's that mean, doing good? Is it whatever a, a politician says is doing good? You might think it's whatever anyone's definition of doing good is. If you just ripped this verse completely out of context of what Paul has already been talking about. The last place Paul talked about doing good was in his list of the fruits of the Spirit that we went through. So you have to go back there to see what Paul means by doing good. The fruit of kindness was defined by goodness, and goodness was directly connected to God's holiness. God's purity of righteousness and what he defines as right and wrong in his word. God's holiness and standard of righteousness or goodness transcends any human or social agenda. It's who God is. So to know what goodness is, and therefore to know what good we can't give up doing, we must look at God, how he sees things, and what he's choosing to do, and how he's moving. For instance, in keeping with the overall context of this passage, we do good by fighting against the urges and impulses of our selfishness, pride, and flesh. If those urges and impulses are fighting against what God defines as good and right, we fight against our sinful disposition towards those behaviors Paul already outlined as being anti-spirit behaviors and fight for the transformation of that sinful disposition into the likeness of Christ. In this context, Paul is cheering on the Galatians to do good in fighting against their fallen human disposition towards their self-focus and trying to save themselves by way of the Jewish law, and to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance in doing good by having an outward, outward look to do good for others. That's what we'll connect with, with verse 10, which we'll get to in a minute. God preserves the dignity of every human being because they are made in his image, regardless of who they are or what they choose to believe. 
We do good by preserving the dignity of people while pointing them to the gospel of Christ. That which will restore them to God, bring them from forgiveness from and peace with him, and bring them everlasting joy, hope, and purpose. How do we do that? The way Paul already described in his list of the fruits of the Spirit, by loving them with righteousness or goodness-sourced kindness. This is not a standardless love. You've heard me talk about that many, many times up here. This is not a standardless love, as Paul already talked about, but a person who is not a part of the family of God, will not care about the standards of God if they haven't already experienced the love of God's family. God has holy standards, but he calls us out of love and sanctifies us out of love. Loving someone who is not yet a part of God's family means to hold their salvation as the utmost priority and trusting God with changing the, that person the way he sees fit and in his timing. That's what leads us to the second part of this battle cry. Some of us here are tired. We're tired from ministering to the same person in love for years and seeing no difference. We're tired from serving in a ministry for years and not seeing much fruit. We're just plain tired. That's a reality in this world. We're not going to sugarcoat it. So what can we keep at the forefront of our minds as the battle cry to not give up and allow God to rekindle and fan the flame of courage, strength, perseverance, and endurance again? Well, that's the second part of verse 9. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. The key to this verse is the word translated do here. That makes it seem arbitrary and random, but the Greek is a little bit clearer. The original word means one's own. Whose own timing in connection with the rest of the context of this passage? Ours? No. God's. God's own. Paul says something very similar elsewhere when he wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. No one doing good for God's kingdom, whether it's leading someone to Christ, or meeting someone's needs with the love of Christ, or bearing another's burden, is going to make any difference if God is not the one doing the calling, saving, sanctifying, and growing. In reality, it's God saving souls. God meeting needs and encouraging spirits. We are merely the vessels he's using for his purposes. In a very big way, and in a very real way, what is that? That's very freeing, isn't it? You know what that means? In doing good for God's kingdom and sharing the gospel with others, you cannot fail. Anything that's going to come out of that is going to be God anyways. God working, God moving, you cannot fail. 
It's God doing the actual moving in people's hearts. The only way we can fail, as Paul notes here in this verse, is if we give up, if we stop doing it. This word again is very similar to this ongoing theme of spiritual warfare. It originally means in the Greek that you've surrendered yourself to the other side. That's exactly what our enemy wants, doesn't he? He wants us to be blinded by the lies of discouragement and allow that to make us give up and stop fighting. But brothers and sisters, all those are are lies. Lies from the pit of hell. God is always at work. God is always moving. God is always changing hearts. We may or may not see it. It's completely up to God and his timing. We may see it in this life, or we may not realize the impact we had on other people's lives for the gospel until we stand before Christ and the things we did pass through the fire of reward or destruction or somebody comes up to us in the coming kingdom of God and says, hey, I got to tell you how much of an impact you made on my life. And that is why I'm standing before you in heaven right now. The enemy wants nothing else but to discourage us to give up. That's his prime objection outside of destroying our souls with temptation and sin. The sooner we recognize that all discouragement in doing good for God's kingdom is lies from the father of lies, the more the battle cry of don't give up will resound in our ears and hearts and the sooner we will rise up to fight with love anew. Any discouragement from doing good in God's kingdom, that is not from God. That is not from the good shepherd. That's not listening to the good shepherd's voice. Those are lies from the one who, the thief who only comes to destroy and kill. Any ministry or service or sharing of the gospel we do for God's kingdom will never amount to nothing. Never. God will always use it. The point is not whether or not we see any of it. The point is knowing that God is still doing something with it. We cannot base any success on what we see or don't see. We must base everything on the faith of knowing that God will always use the good we do for his kingdom and for his glory. He will always use it. Paul concludes this battle cry with these words. So then, in verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. This takes from everything that has been said before in this letter and uses it as a punching conclusion and commitment. Any good battle plans have a focus. Take that hill. Fulfill that objective. Capture that base. Complete this mission. The same is true for this. You may be a part of a family or know a family where something odd happens. In this type of family, the family members are nice to everyone else outside of the family except for each other. In another type of family, the opposite happens. Everyone is super nice to each other, but treats everyone else outside of the family poorly. 
God's family is supposed to be much different. As Paul writes here, we have a family made up of brothers and sisters with God as our father. As such, and as a loving family, we have to be making sure that each other's physical and spiritual needs are being met. Burdens are being helped with, and inward spirits are being encouraged. But at the same time, God has commissioned us to show his love and his gospel message of salvation with those outside of the family as well. As one biblical scholar pointed out, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, was he meeting the physical needs of only those who had put their full faith and trust in him as their Messiah? Not at all. He met their physical needs out of love, regardless of who they were, to be the vessel of his gospel message. But if we're calling others to join our family of faith, who will want to join a family where that family's needs are going unmet? And if we're only focused on ourselves, who will even know about our family, much less want to be a part of it? So, our resources, time, and spiritual gifts must be used for both. How do we do that wisely without spreading ourselves too thin or missing possibilities? By, as Paul says here, observing, noting, and taking advantage of opportunities, opportune moments. There's a focus on effectiveness for either bringing up the gospel in a relationship with someone else or pursuing an idea. So there's a certain responsibility on our part as we share the gospel. We look for the most effective and opportune ways of doing it. Practically, that will also help defer burnout or spiritual exhaustion because we're staying in tune with the Spirit's guidance as the commander we're following and only taking missions we're confident he gives to us. Does that, does that all make sense? Okay. There's a spiritual wisdom which God calls us to and God calls us to desire and nurture with that way of doing things. We follow the Spirit's leading, and when he tells us to move, we move in boldness and courage. With the illustration of choosing a side between the Spirit and the flesh, and you may have wondered, I know what I'm to be fighting against, the urges and impulses of my sinful predisposition, but what am I supposed to be fighting for? Paul answered that question here. We fight for good. We fight for God's standard of good with his love to achieve his plan and bring people into his kingdom. We stand up for those who are, are oppressed and defenseless and cast aside by this world, knowing that every person from conception till death is made in the image of God. We represent him in this world to take advantage of those opportune moments at the Spirit's leading to bring the seed of the gospel to one more person. We are fueled by the power of love, his love, to go forth in the boldness of his Spirit to bear the light in this dark world. So, fellow soldiers, get up, lift up, and step up. As we march forward into a new year, God has given to us a mission. If you are a child of God bought with the blood of Christ, you are automatically 
enlisted in his army, you have no choice, I'm sorry. You cannot sit on the sidelines. That's not a possibility. All that really is, sitting on the sidelines, is aiding and abetting the enemy. Each of us here has been given a mission to plant the seeds of the gospel in love. Cast off the enemy's lies and forces of discouragement and press on in the power and strength of the one leading you into battle. As Paul writes elsewhere, put on the full armor of God to stand, to fight, and to take back territory from the forces of darkness. Steal one more person from behind enemy lines. Bring the freedom, peace, and light of the gospel to one more held captive by deception and darkness. Rescue one more person made in the image of God from destruction. There's a famous hymn where the first verse makes this declaration. And as we close, I pray that this too will be each of our declarations. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? Other lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, we at Fellowship Church are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this insp these inspiring battle cry words. We know who they were or originally written to. Churches that were beaten up and worn out and needed some strengthening and encouragement and emboldening. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who is beaten up spiritually, worn out in doing good for your kingdom, sharing your love, the love of your gospel message with others, I pray that you would give them that strength, that same strength, that same power, that same encouragement, and that same boldness. Let us all band together as one, as we, all, as we already know we are, one army under you as our commander, marching forward into this new year to continue to be the light that you have called us to, to this dark world. Take your gospel message, bring it to one more person, and witness you change lives, save lives, transform lives, and give you all the glory for it. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.